and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Well, how's that for an entrance, Bent Tree Church? Yeah? It's, it's interesting, right? It, it's interesting. That's what I'll, I'll give you interesting um, and nothing further than that. <laughs> Guys, what we're talking about today has everything to do with that right there. That's the only reason why I wrote that out here. Um, we're talking about Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem uh, 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday. Uh, you'll find it in Matthew 21. That's where we're talking. You know, I actually wanted to write in. It's funny. I wanted to write in in like the back of a, a convertible, like waving my hand, you know, like hail to the chief playing. I thought that would be a little arrogant. So I, uh, I asked my daughter if I could borrow her scooter. Um, you do not know how many candies I had to promise her to be able to ride that thing out here on stage. But either way, um, friends, uh, welcome to Bentry Church. If you're new here, I am Jeff. I usually don't ride out on a scooter. Um, it's, it's a thing. That's a thing. That's what I'll give you there. But um, yeah, I'd love to talk to you uh, after church. If you're new here, uh, I'll, I might even let you ride my scooter, you know? Uh, maybe, maybe. I'll have to check with my daughter first. But uh, um, <laughs> First things first, I do want to pray. I, I've got to get my head in the right space. Riding out on a scooter, it's like, what's going on here? Um, we just sang, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Let's pray um, to that Lord right now. His name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Let's invite him into this space. Sound good? Jesus, just as the people welcomed you 2,000 years ago into Jerusalem, we welcome you here in this space. God, I praise you that you didn't come on a scooter. (laughs) But God, you came gentle and lowly riding on a donkey, and we welcome you just as the people did 2,000 years ago with shouts of acclamation, Hosanna, um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I pray you would come and enter our midst, speak to us today, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. As I think about grand entrances, uh, I think about how I used to enter my Spanish class on the very first day uh, of the semester. We've got uh, a new, what is it, your first days coming up for you students out there? Um, I used to be a Spanish teacher, by the way, for those of you who didn't know. Uh, I was a Spanish teacher for 12 years. I worked bivocationally as a pastor and Spanish teacher, and now I'm, I'm full-time here at Bentry. But how would I enter my class on the first day every single year? Well, here's what I would do. I, would, uh, I wouldn't ride in on a scooter. I'd walk in with my coffee, try to look as angry as possible. And I just, I literally, I would just sit there at the front of the class on my stool, just stewing and staring at kids, giving them my, my nastiest crusty. That's what we call it. We give them a crusty, just staring at kids. And then finally one kid would be like, uh, are we going to learn something? And I'd slam my coffee down and I'd say, hey, I'm the one who talks here. You listen. Better learn it that way, dang it. All right? I, I'm kidding. I really didn't do that. You can ask Marcus. He was actually my teacher's age for the longest time. I never entered my class that way. If it was late, it was whatever, apologizing. And, oh, la clase, como están? Vamos a clase. All right, anyway. Um, but I did know some teachers who did. They did enter um, their class that way because they were intent on establishing their, their authority with their very first impression, right? They knew that the first day of class was going to be a tone setter for the rest of the year. So what do they do? Uh, they would come in. They'd set the tone. They'd put the fear of God into the kids, all right? Um, I think we all understand, at one level or another, the power of a first impression, 
right? The power of making an entrance. So, like I said, we're looking at Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem the week before he's crucified. There's so much to glean here. Um, Yeah, this is more or less his introduction to the people of Jerusalem. It sets the tone for his message. So we've got to understand what he's doing with his tone-setting entrance if we're actually going to understand his message, um, his message to the first century Jews, and that's what he's saying to us. So, are you guys ready to dive into our text for the day? Prove it. Hey, who's got their Bibles today? Come on. Who's got their Bibles? I see a couple Bibles back there. Awesome. Hey, Bibles on your phone count. They do count. We do encourage you to bring your paper Bible. We want you to take notes here at Bent Tree. Um, yeah, we want you to mark up your margins um, and make sure, honestly, that we're not adding anything, anything to or taking anything from God's Word. We preach through uh, the Bible verse by verse, and we want to make sure you guys are going through verse by verse with us, making sure we're not adding anything to or taking anything out of God's Word. So, would you stand with me? Like I said, we're going to be in Matthew 21. I'll give you a second to turn there. Go ahead and stand with me. We'll read God's word together. Again, Matthew 21, we're going to take um, about half the chapter, about 1 through 19. So, you all ready? Matthew 21, let's go for it. If you don't have your Bible, you can check it out. It's going to be here on the screen. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, Bethphage, you, know, you might say it means house of figs. All right. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you'll find a donkey tied there with a colt buyer. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large, cr- a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And then Jesus goes to the temple. Uh, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. Then the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. And then when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. For have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you Lord have called forth your praise? And he left them and he went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. The third section of our text in verse 18, early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back into the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. This is God's word, church. This is his spoken revelation to us. Um, You guys can take your seats. Let's pray. God, we welcome you today. As you entered Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, enter our midst. Be welcomed here. Help us make way for you. Help us hear every word you want to say, and help us do what you say. And worship you with all our hearts. We humble ourselves before you, our good and gracious King. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's summarize our text for the morning, all right? You guys ready for my summary? Here we go. 
Firstly, we have Jesus telling his disciples to go get him a donkey. And that's what he rides into Jerusalem. And the people, they go crazy. And then he gets to the temple. Then he goes crazy. He starts turning over tables, kicks out all the businesses there. And then some people come to him and he starts healing them and teaching them. And then some children start worshiping him. And then rather than correcting the kids, he gets in the face of all the Pharisees that are a little bit more than perturbed by all that's gone on. Then he goes home for the night, comes home back into town the next morning. And on the way into town, he curses a fig tree that withers up and dies. Any questions? Maybe I should slow down a little bit, right? That's what people tell me. People tell me I need to slow down. Um, and I think we ought to. Because this is a really interesting text. Um, and I think God has got these two stories. I think, honestly, these two events happened right next to each other for a reason. And so I want to dive into that reason today. I want to look at everything going on. I want to take it slow, go verse by verse, because that's how we do things here at Bentry. Um, but first things first, you should know something about the story. A story, it's called The Triumphal Entry. Um, I put it in quotation marks, so I'll explain that later. Uh, but it appears in all four Gospels. Um, some stories, they appear in just one or two. This is one that's in all four. So if God thought it was important enough to put in the mind of every single Gospel writer, it must be important for us to get into our minds, right? Like, his entry is a tone center for his ministry. It's his debut as King of the Jews. The Messianic secret is out. The hour has come um, for the king uh, to arrive, and the king's here. So, understanding this entry, his entry into Jerusalem, it's critical to understanding his final teachings. And just for kicks, look at where you are in the Gospel of Matthew, guys. How many chapters are there? There's 28 chapters, and we're in chapter 21. So, some simple math. I wasn't a math teacher. I was a Spanish teacher, but I know this. We're about like 75% of the way through. That means the last quarter of Matthew's Gospel is dedicated to his teachings in his final weeks on earth, or in his final week on earth. So, like, we've got to understand how he starts this week off. The triumphal entry and the events that immediately follow it, these are events that are in all four Gospels for a reason. So we've got to get that reason if we're going to understand what, well, who Christ really is. Um, the reason why he came to this earth. Um, we've got to understand this message to the very people that are going to turn around and crucify Jesus seven days later. So this is a message for us. So, what's the first thing in the story? Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. And how does he come into Jerusalem? He comes in on a donkey. But check out how he tells his disciples to go and get this donkey. Like, it's not like they're going to borrow it. They're going to commandeer this thing. Procure it. Yeah, in like a kingly fashion. Guys like um, the Marines, they would call it like tactically acquire, right? They're going to, he's going to like, he's going to go get himself, uh, he was, he's going to send his disciples to go get him a donkey. And it's kind of a weird request. So like they approached Jerusalem, came to Bethphage. That means house of figs. I don't know if I mentioned that already. Figs are going to come into play later. I'll tell you why. Um, they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives and Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt right by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he'll send them right away. Um, I just want to say, like, I kind of wish I could do this, like, at the grocery store. Like, go in and grab a gallon of milk, walk out. Anyone's like, hey, bring the milk back here. I could be like, the Lord hath need, right? <laughs> Sorry. And then they'd be like, oh, yeah, take it. Yeah, I don't think the world works that way. Um, but, um, like, this is an interesting way to get a donkey, right? Like, I can imagine the disciples thinking, all right, first of all, Jesus, why a donkey? Number two, why can't we just go and, like, 
buy one or something. Like we went fishing a couple weeks ago and you had like these fish with like gold coins in their mouth. So like, why can't we just do something like that? Why do we got to go like commandeer this donkey? Here's the thing. I feel like the disciples, after having spent the last three years with Jesus and having him ask them to do unusual things all the time, they're like, okay, I mean, like it's different, but it was different when he asked us to feed a crowd with two fish and a couple of bread loaves. Like it was different when he told us to go fishing and there was a coin in the mouth of a fish. Like they've gotten used to different by now. And so I want to ask you a question today. I'm actually going to ask you a series of questions, but here's the first one. Have you gotten to this point in your relationship with Christ? Like the point where you trust him uh, and you do whatever he asks you to, even if it's kind of like out of the ordinary, even if you don't see the world doing those same kind of things. Um, Have you gotten used to being different? I mean, that's what it means to be a disciple. It means you're going to be different. Um, So have you gotten used to like that? Have you gotten to that point where you're ready to live differently from the rest of the world? Do you trust him like that? Um, I want to say that if you're not at that point, or maybe you don't know if you're quite at that point, I think I know why, because I've seen it in my own life. Um, here's the thing. Like, I think maybe you might have ignored him for too long. Um, I, I, I don't know where this is necessarily in Scripture, but I would say that like, when in my life, in my experience, when I ignore Christ for too long, when I ignore his like, requests of me, um, the things that maybe I'm reading in the Bible and he's speaking to me, if I ignore those things for too long, he just stops making requests. Like That's what I've seen. So I don't want to take up too much time on this, but I do want to say this. Don't quench the Spirit. Like When you feel like God is asking you to do something, after reading it in the Word or spending a lot of time in prayer, um, maybe it's even something slightly out of the ordinary, something different. Just do it. Um, And I do want to say, as your pastor, make sure you're not doing anything that's unbiblical. You need to check your heart with what you're reading in Scripture and know that if you want to hear God speak, He's spoken right here. This is where we go to hear His Word. Um, But if you read in the Bible and you feel like, man, God's urging you to do something specific, maybe whatever, give up something specific or take a specific step out in faith, like just go do what he says because you don't want him to stop making those little requests of you. You don't want him to stop speaking to your heart. Um, God speaks. And when he speaks, we obey. I tell my kids all the time, Natalia, I say, Natalia, how do we obey? We obey right away. Whatever dad may say, all the way, we obey right away. Um, yes, I know it rhymes. She's, yeah, she gets it too at home, unfortunately. You guys get it here at church. She gets it at home. But anyway, back to the text. Jesus tells the disciples to do something. They drop what they're doing. They go and do what Jesus says. That's something we should do. Um, verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey um, and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And again, I want to ask the question, because I think it's an important question, why a donkey? Why not a horse? Why not a cart? Why not one of those things, you know, the things that like the, like the, the kings would ride on, the little cart, and the people would pick it up, you know what I mean? I, I just remember it from like Kung Fu Panda, there was some goose that like, anyway, but like, I don't know what that thing's called, but like, why not one of those things? Why a donkey? Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, The prophet Zechariah, by the way. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Um, This prophecy was written about 500 years before Christ came to earth um, by the prophet Zechariah. You can find it in your Bible, Zechariah 9.9. Go check it out with your D3 group this week. Um, The thing is, is 
Jesus knows his scriptures well. Like he's read the law. He's read the prophets. Um, he knows that this prophecy refers to him. So what does Jesus do? He makes sure to do what God's word says. This is something we should emulate in Christ. That is, we should know our Bibles well and we should do what they tell us to do. Um, but again, I'm coming back to this question. Why a donkey? Um, I don't think it was that Jesus was looking to like roll up in like a first century like limousine type thing, you know, riding low and slow on a luxurious donkey. I, I think I mentioned it earlier, like when I came in here on a, on a scooter, I wanted to ride in like, uh, like the mayor of Loveland, you know, like in the back of a convertible waving to people, maybe like hail to the chief playing over the loudspeakers. Um, and maybe there is like that imagery going on here in his, in his entry into Jerusalem, like the imagery of the laid back triumphal king after, uh, after conquest, totally at peace. Um, maybe is, there is that imagery of the easygoing royal, like not rolling in in a cavalcade of black escalades, you know, but instead, um, whatever, rolling up in, in a convertible, waving his hand. Maybe there's that imagery. Here, let me put this imagery in terms that I think bentriers we would understand. Like Jesus, when he rolls into Jerusalem, he doesn't roll up like in a big old Jeep Rubicon with a lift kit ready to conquer every mountain in his way. Jesus is riding in humbly, in like a 2010 Honda Accord that's, that's dull and whatever, hail damaged. Often. Um, you know, it's funny. I wrote that line when I was writing this sermon a few weeks ago about whatever, Jesus rolling up in a Honda Accord. And um, I was riding into church today, guys, and they're, they're at the stoplight. Um, there's priest rolls up next to me and I'm like, Hey, me too. He has no idea. Cause like, I'm not wearing anything. He's wearing like the little, like whatever the little he- like neck thing. So I know he's a priest and I'm like, Hey, me too. He, he has no idea. He's like, whatever, man. Um, why is he pointing at his neck? Um, you know what he was driving though? A Honda Accord. I kid you not. I kid you not. It was, it was Providence. And then here's the other thing. We actually had some uh, missionaries that came and uh, stayed the night with us this week. I, I lived in Mexico for a while, and I lived with these missionaries. And they're up here in the States, and they're making their road trip across the United States. And you know what they're driving, right? They're driving a Honda Accord. See, God speaks in threes. I'm kidding. That's not in the Bible. But I will say it is biblical that the disciples, they were all in one Accord. So you know it. It's God's vehicle. It's God's vehicle. Anyway, I I want you guys, let's come back to the text here. I want you to check this out. There's an adjective used to describe his ride. Gentle. That's why it's a donkey. Because a donkey's gentle, right? Um, And if I had like a, a, a title for this sermon, if I had one main idea I want you guys to come away from the sermon with, it would be that. It'd be gentle. In fact, turn to someone right now and say gentle gentle. Some of you guys looked at them and said it even gently. Gentle. It's awkward. All right. Um, this passage makes me think of another passage, though, in Matthew. It comes from Matthew 12. Um, it's another passage that t- speaks of Christ's gentleness. Uh, Here's my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He won't quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. How gentle is he? A bruised reed he won't break. And a smoldering wick, that's like on a candle, he won't snuff it out. Like, see this imagery here to describe who our king is, who Jesus really is. He's a beloved servant. He's not a tyrant. He's not a despot. 
He's a gentle king that proclaims justice. But how does he do it? He doesn't come with a scepter and a sword. He comes with an olive branch of peace. Jesus is gentle. He, he doesn't quarrel or cry out. He doesn't rage against the machine. Jesus is so gentle. He doesn't even raise his voice. No one will hear his voice in the streets. Like he doesn't shout or yell. He's a king that whispers. He's one that doesn't break a bruised reed. He doesn't even snuff out a smoldering wick. Jesus is so gentle. How gentle is he? Doesn't even blow out his own birthday candles. Jesus is so gentle. Like, like when he opens a Nature Valley granola bar, he doesn't even spill any crumbs. This is how <laughs> There's an image that'll stick with you guys. Like, guys, this is how gentle our Jesus is. It's strength under control. Our king is meek, but he isn't weak. Again, hear me. Our king, Jesus, isn't weak, but he certainly is meek. Um, and this is a word for me, from my heart. I'll tell you right now, guys, um, this is something we should be. Are you gentle like Jesus? I know um, something's kind of happened to me in my age and becoming a dad. I, I've, I've become, <laughs> I certainly haven't become more gentle in my old age. Um, this is a word that was speaking to me this week. We've got to be gentle like Jesus. Um, he comes to us lowly and meekly, offering peace and mercy and grace. Are you gentle like Jesus? Um, after my last sermon up here, when I got up here and I yelled like the blind men outside of Jericho, so my last sermon was in Matthew 20, and there's some dudes that are yelling in there, and I get up here and I yell, and I bring passion and vigor. And my wife says, Jeff, when did you become like a yelling preacher? You know, all like fire and brimstone. Um, She's got a point. See, it's not always about yelling. It's not always about getting your point made. All right? Um, This is how Jesus comes to us. He comes to us, sinful humanity, people who have spurned God and turned away from his gracious plan for us. We've gone our own way in spiteful rebellion. And he has every right to come and smite. But he doesn't. Rather than coming at us with judgment, he comes at us gentle and lowly and meekly. Or at least that's his first coming. We're going to talk about his second coming in a little bit. But here in the next verses, you need to see how the people greet Jesus, how they hail him as king. Um, Going back to verse 8 in Matthew 21, a large crowd, a very large crowd, uh, spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in highest heaven. Um, Hosanna. For those of you who didn't grow up in church, Hosanna just means come save us or please save. All right, God, come save us. Um, And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Um, Let's go back to verse 8 here. Um, A very large crowd, um, they come and they make way for Christ. Um, They cut branches down. Anyone know what kind of branches they were? Palm branches, there you go. That's where we get Palm Sunday from, all right? Um, it's in the other Gospels, you can see. But yeah, they cut palm branches. They spread them on the road, uh, on the road there. They're taking their robes and they're spreading them so Christ doesn't have to um, tread on their filthy streets. And so I told you I was going to ask you some questions today. Here's another question. Do you make way for Christ to come into your life? Do you make way for him? Take a look. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed, they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. 
Um, I mean, literally, it means come save us. But you could say things like, please, we beseech thee, Lord. Come help us. We're desperate for you. We need you. Another question. Are you this desperate for God's salvation? Do you shout for him? Do you worship him in this way? Or are you content to just whisper his praises? But you see it right here. They shout, Hosanna. Um, to the king, you could say, oh, praise the name. That's what we just sang. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. His name is Jesus Christ. Is this how we worship him? With shouts of acclamation? Or do you just find it hard to make time in your schedule to worship him? Like, do you make way? Do you make room for the king to come? Let's continue. Um, let's look at verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? Um, who is this guy? Uh, they're answered by the crowd. The crowd says, this is Jesus. He's the prophet um, from Nazareth in Galilee. Um, he's the one who's been out making a commotion in the countryside, you know, gathering huge crowds to himself. He comes from Nazareth. And you can see it kind of implied here. We know it from the rest of scripture. Like, Nazareth? Wait a second. There's nothing about a prophet coming from Nazareth. Like, honestly, does anything good come from Nazareth? Like, I can imagine the people, though there's a large crowd of people welcoming him, um, I can imagine a lot of people are thinking, gosh, that parade was kind of like disappointing, actually. It was a donkey. I mean, I've seen bigger parades before, and it's not like he seemed to come in as the Messiah should come in, right? Like, isn't the Messiah coming to overthrow Rome? That's like, aren't that kind of like... Whatever, that's a donkey. You see the people, they're disillusioned. Like all their questions, their doubts, they start pouring in. And, and I think we've got to realize, people, that like there's something very much not so triumphal about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Um, he subverts expectations with it. I read one writer this week. He said, The ragtag band of followers accompanying a Galilean peasant teacher riding on a donkey could be better labeled the untriumphal entry. Like, sir, some people might have known about the prophecy, but Jesus riding in on a donkey would have looked like a parody of a real parade. Like, where's the soldiers? Where are the chariots? Where are the trumpets? Where's the army? You see, like Jesus very much came in underwhelming the people. Um, it would have fallen really short from what they were expecting. Again, I told you I'd be asking you some questions. Here, another one. Guys, do you feel like Jesus is coming into your life the way you expect him to? Are you disappointed when he doesn't? Is Jesus subverting your expectations right now? If so, you're going to realize Jesus is going to do whatever Jesus wants. He's going to ride in on a donkey. He's going to come bringing gentleness and peace and mercy. And you can either accept it and worship him as such, or you cannot. Um, see, the thing is, is I completely understand why the people would turn around seven days later and they'd crucify Jesus because they were expecting a militaristic Messiah. They were expecting someone to come and take this heavy tax burden off of them. And Jesus came on a donkey. So what do they do? They start like openly questioning and um, challenging this Jesus, the prophet um, from Nazareth. So to summarize the passage, we have this gentle, meek rabbi riding in like he owns the place. And people hear about him and they respond in one of two ways. Either they fall down and they worship and they accept him. They welcome him as king, as they should, or 
They bring the doubts. They bring the questions. They say, I don't know. I don't know about this guy. And so here's the thing. These next few events, and that's why I think these two stories are together here. The next few events in Matthew 21, like they're going to be really illuminating for us. Everyone's asking, all right, you think you're the king. What's next, big guy? Well, here's the thing. Check it out. He goes to the temple, and what does he do? He enters the temple courts, and he drives out all who were there, buying and selling. Um, this is my whip motion. Um, we read in other Gospels. He's got a whip of cords, all right? Um, and he's overthrowing, he's overturning their tables. Um, overturn the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Like, can you imagine that being your first impression with Christ? You're out there trying to make a buck. And right, and he's kicking over your bench. It's written, Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you all, you're making it into a den of thieves. So wait a second. Like, the gentle king isn't so gentle anymore? What happened? Verse 12, he overturned their tables. He's driving them out with a whip of cords. He's kicking over benches. And this is, by the way, is the second time he's done this. He did this at the beginning of his ministry about three years prior, and now he's doing it again. Make no mistake, though, Jesus has every right to come into this temple and drive these people out. He has every right to come in storming the place. Like, he's the son of God. The, his father's house is the temple. And what does he see? He sees people trying to make money off of, like, honest sincere God-seekers. What are they doing? They're, they're, they're extracting these exorbitant rates of currency exchange, all right? Um, they're saying like, no, 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 no. You can't just bring your dove or your sheep into the temple. You got to buy one of ours, all right? Um, think of like a movie theater, guys. When you go in there to buy popcorn, all right? Some of you dads, you're like, oh, I get why Jesus is mad, right? I can make this popcorn for 10 cents at home, all right? And they're making a killing off of me just wanting to watch a movie. This is the thing. Jesus is mad because this isn't just a movie. This is like people wanting to worship God, sincere people. And Jesus is pissed. Sorry, but he's mad. He's like, guys, <laughs> this isn't right for you to be doing this. What you're doing is you're turning my dad's house into a den of robbers. You're robbing the people. And this is a really stark contrast with the gentle Jesus we saw earlier riding on a donkey, right? So people, tell me, which Jesus is the real Jesus? Will the real Jesus please stand up? Is it gentle Jesus, meek and mild? Or is it righteous Jesus, angry, wild? Which Christ is the real Christ? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Or righteous Jesus, angry, wild. You know, I, uh, I asked your lead pastor this question. I asked Paul this question. Um, and we're going to do something a little bit different today. I want you to answer this question. So when I say go, you're going to take 30 seconds. You're going to turn to the person near you, nearest you, and you're going to answer this question. Which Jesus is the real Jesus? Is it gentle Jesus or is it righteous Jesus? On your marks. You can't just give them a one-word answer, and you can't just stare at them. That's awkward. Get set. You ready? Which Jesus is the real Jesus? Go. All right. Um, Let's bring it back together here. So we've got these two pictures. I know they, they're side by side for a reason. Um, gentle Jesus riding in on a donkey, not a war horse. 
He's bringing an olive branch of peace, but yet to these guys in the temple, all right, he goes and he drives them out, all right? He's mad. He ticks them off. Um, so, what'd you answer? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, or angry Jesus, righteous Jesus? Slightly wild. <laughs> yes, I love it. I asked your senior pastor this question, um, and he got the answer right away. Are you guys ready for the answer? It depends on who Jesus is talking to. It depends on who Jesus is talking to. Um, you see, it's a false dichotomy. We know that Christ is both one and the same. All right, He is both gentle Jesus and righteous Jesus. But what determines his posture is who he's talking to. You see, the people that showed up to the parade, the people that showed up ready to worship him, ready to make way for him, all right, shouting, loving, worshiping this guy. He, who is he? He's a gentle king that comes offering mercy. He's approachable. He's warm and welcoming. But with the religious leaders, all right, with these guys who are trying to take advantage of God's people, he is absolutely lethal, right? He's both, but it depends on who he's looking at, who he's talking to. And so if you're wondering whether you're going to get gentle Jesus or righteous Jesus on the day of judgment, you need to take a good hard look at yourself. What does Christ see when he looks at you? Does he see someone who cries out to him to save? One that believes in him and him alone? Or does he see someone who's just playing at church? Someone who comes to the house of God with an agenda? You know, Paul, um, he said last week that Jesus comes and he comforts the afflicted but he afflicts the comfortable. And this is the gospel truth, which are you. When God, when God is talking to you, what does he see? Whose side are you on? Are you one that welcomes him with praise and worship, shouting, Hosanna, God, please save me. I need you. Are you one who lays down their government more than laying down your, your cloak on, your, on the streets? Are you one who, who lays down your life for Christ, who says, make way for the king. He's coming to save. Or are you someone else? Do you come to church with an agenda? Let's keep reading. Because there's even more to glean from this text, and I think it becomes more um, even illuminating as we go on. The blind and the lame, they came to him at the temple, and he healed them. So what do we see? Yeah, we see Jesus being lethal with the religious leaders, but the blind, the lame, those who come to Christ in need, they find healing and restoration and peace. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, so they're seeing this. They're seeing people healed. And then they're hearing children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. The religious leaders, chief priests, teachers of the law, they were indignant. That means mad. Or the word I said earlier that I shouldn't have. They're mad. They're like, wait a second. Wait a tick. Like, um, like who do you think you are, Mr. Big Stuff? Um, Christ came to be a doctor for the sick. He didn't come to coddle the religiously comfortable. So when they see people getting healed, when they see people worshiping Christ and entrusting their lives to him, they're mad and they're like, aren't you going to correct these kids? Do you hear what the children are saying, they asked? Like, aren't you going to correct them? They're in the temple of God and they're worshiping you. You're just a rabbi from some backwater region in a weird no-name town. Yes, Jesus replied. <laughs> I hear what they're saying. Yes. Have you and you ever read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? <laughs> yeah, I hear them, and I'm not going to correct them. Um, which is interesting, because, you know, you read 
You read the Bible and you see angels come down, come down from heaven. And whenever an angel comes, um, the people, they fall down and they start worshiping the angel. And what does the angel do? The angel says, no, don't worship me. Worship God. But with Jesus, he's not correcting them. Like the children are worshiping. They're saying, Hosanna, come save us, Messiah. And he doesn't correct them. He's like, yeah, this is right. This is what they were made to do. And so I want to take this picture just a little bit further because I think there's something really cool to glean from this. So to give you some context on ancient Judaism, um, ancient Judaism was different from all the other um, all the other religions in the Mediterranean rim, all right? Different from all the religions around the world. See, um, when you would go to one of the temples of another religion, what do you see in the middle of the temple? So you go to Athens, and you see the temple of Zeus, and you walk into the middle of the temple, and right there in the middle of the temple, there's a statue of Zeus. You go to Ephesus, all right? The temple of Artemis, one of the wonders of the world. You walk in there, and right in the middle of the temple of Artemis, there's a, te- there's a statue of Artemis but not with the Jews. There's something really interesting about them. You walk into the Jewish temple. You go past all the courts. You go through the different rooms and you get to the very center of the Jewish temple and there's no statue. There's no image or idol or anything. Like it's like a picture frame without a picture inside of it. It's interesting, right? It sets the Jews aside. In fact, um, you'd see invading armies. They'd come into to Jerusalem, and whenever they stormed the temple, they'd get to the center of the temple, and they'd be like, hey, where's your God at? Like, where's he at? Like, we're, we're here to, like, whatever, ransack your statue, and there ain't no statue in here. So now, friends, when Jesus gets to the temple, what do we have here? In the middle of the temple, for the first time in history, we have the image of God right there in the temple. Check it out. Colossians 1.15, the Son, that is Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Yeah, kids, it's right to worship Jesus right there in his temple. And yeah, Pharisees, it's right for them to do that. <laughs> like, I don't presume to know the thoughts of God, but I can imagine Jesus coming into the temple And thinking, oh, guys, for thousands of years, all the other nations around the Mediterranean, like they've mocked you for not having a God in the middle of your temple. And now that I'm here, your God is here, the one who was prophesied about. I'm right here in your midst. And you're missing it. Like, you guys can't be serious. You guys are going to tell me? You're going to tell the kids to stop worshiping me? You're not going to join in with them and saying, Hosanna, come save us, Messiah? Like... When you see this, you get it, why Jesus was so darn judgmental with the religious leaders. Like, they're indignant with him, but his disappointment in them has got to be colossal. They've literally got God incarnate standing right in front of them, and they're blinded by their own agendas. Like, I can only imagine what Christ felt on his way home that night. Verse 17, back in Matthew 21, he left them, and he went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Like... Guys, you're the religious leaders. You're the ones who are supposed to have been reading. And you missed it. Um, and I want to say something right now. Um, because we here at Bentry, we, we've got a lot of leaders in our church. 
um, leadership development. It's one of our, it's a key part of our vision. Our vision is to grow people up spiritually um, into leaders that are going to, well, lead the church, lead others, and become spiritually mature. That's our, that's our vision right there. We're all about leaders here, and you've got to recognize that Jesus' strongest words of correction are directed towards leaders. So just to take a second, I'm going to talk to our pastors here, um, Paul, me, Hunter, um, this word is for us. This word is for our staff here and our elders. It's a, it's a word for all our D3 leaders, all our worship leaders, Sunday school teachers, anyone who aspires to leadership in God's church. Guys, watch out. Like, be on your card. Stand firm. Because Jesus' strongest words of correction are directed towards religious leaders, the people who work for the temple. You see, they're the people who should know their Bibles, the people who should have been the first ones on the welcome wagon for Christ. But... They're blinded by their own aspirations and agendas. They're muddling through the minutia of ministry, and they're so busy correcting other people that they can't stand to be corrected themselves. So watch out if you're a leader. Watch out if you want to be a leader, because Jesus won't hold back when he judges you, um, especially if you, feel to be, if you feel led to be a judge of God's people. Like, watch out. Like, if you, how do I say this? Like, if you want to lead God's house, you need to be ready for God to come in and and rearrange your house. You need to be ready for him to come in and overthrow some tables in your life. Um, Heck, I mean, Matthew 8, 20, you got to be ready to be homeless if you're ready to, uh, if you're wanting to work in God's home, in God's house. Um, Don't hear me wrong. It's a good thing to aspire to leadership. It's a really good thing to aspire to leadership. We need leaders, but it's really easy especially in church leadership, to think that you're righteous because you serve the righteous one. Um, It's really easy to think when you're giving God's words to the people to think that God's words aren't directed towards you. But the truth of the matter is, God's strongest words of correction are directed towards leaders. Um, And you'll see that here in this last bit of text here. Um, Jesus curses a fig tree. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back into the city, he was hungry. Jesus got hungry. I don't know if you guys knew that. He was, he was a man just as much as he was God. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. What's he expecting to find on a fig tree? Figs, right? Um, then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered up. Um, let it die, let it die, let it shrivel, right? Uh, it's from the Lorax. It's, it's a dumb movie. Anyway, um, before you tree people get mad, um, hold on, because this isn't just an arbitrary cursing of a random tree um, just because Jesus is hangry. Jesus is teaching here, and he's got a point. So I'm going to break it down really simply because sometimes we miss this. Um, sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. But um, All right, Jesus sees a fig tree. What does he expect to see on it? Well, it's a fig tree. He expects to see figs. Exactly. Because a fig tree's purpose is to, everyone say it with me, make figs. All right. Now, Jesus doesn't just destroy the fig tree because fig newtons are disgusting. All right. He destroys the fig tree because it's not fulfilling its purpose. And what's the purpose again? To make figs. So, tell me. I told you guys I was going to ask you some hard questions. Here's a question. Child of God, what's your purpose? Are you fulfilling your purpose? Like, what are you supposed to do with your life? Um, 
Our worship coordinator, Isaac, you'll see him up here um, leading worship a lot. Uh, I love him. He's got like his, he's got this statement memorized like a catechism. When you ask Isaac, hey, Isaac, what's your purpose in life? What's the meaning of life? And he says it the same way every single time. My purpose in life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. He's got it. It's like a catechism for him. Um, And here's the thing. It's truth. What's your purpose in life? It's to worship God. It's to believe in him and to live for him and love him with all your heart. And so when the fig tree doesn't accomplish its purpose, Jesus destroys it. And now, hear me, if you don't believe in God and fulfill your God-given purpose to worship, you'll be wishing you were a fig tree. But instead, you'll spend an eternity separated from God, forever agonizing over your rejection of him. So, guys, I got to be clear here. Like, if there's no love in your heart for God, if there's no recognition of your need for him, if there's no worshipful gratitude filling your heart, what awaits your soul? Death, damnation, destruction, and hell forever. And I don't just tell you this to mash toes. I'm not just trying to mash toes up here. I'm trying to tell you this because I care. Um, I don't want hell for anyone, nor does God. God doesn't want hell for anyone. But... He sent Jesus, his offering branch of peace, to us so that we wouldn't have to. And so, friends, if there's not a Hosanna cry in your heart for Christ, just like the people of Jerusalem, um, if you're not, whatever, desperate for the king of peace, there's no peace for you in eternity. If you're not enthralled and desperate for his deliverance, there's no deliverance for you. If you don't worship the gentle king, come on a donkey. There will be no gentleness for you when the king comes again. Like, church, hear me now. Here's my bottom line. Like, you can be humble. You can believe and be humble, or you can be humbled in your unbelief. The choice is yours. Like, you can bend your knee. You can be humble. You can believe in him and receive his offer of mercy or your knee will be bent for you when Christ comes in glory. Like, I know this message is offensive to outsiders, but it's the gospel truth. Like, humble yourself. Humble yourself to our humble king. He's one who came gently riding on a donkey offering peace and mercy and forgiveness for all your sins. Or you can reject him and you can be humbled by him on the day of judgment. Like, Remember, guys, Christ stooped low when he came to this earth. He, he made himself nothing to give us everything, all right? He, he took on the nature of a servant so we could have the nature of sonship. Um, he died our death on a criminal's cross. He bent his knee when he washed our feet. And our response should be to kneel before him in worship. We should bend our knee to our resurrected king. But if we don't bend our knee, our knee will be bent for us. We can humble ourselves. We can receive mercy and grace. Or you can be humbled. Because here's the thing. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But for those who have responded to the gospel with faith and repentance, they'll bend their knee gladly and willingly. But those who have hardened their heart to the gospel, you'll be bending your knee with great fear and great trembling. Jesus' second coming. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, not a donkey, whose rider is called Faithful and True, capital F, capital T. Who is his rider? The rider is Christ. 
With justice, he judges and wages war. When the king comes the second time, it won't be a gentle coming. It won't be on a donkey offering peace and a place to worship. It'll be on a war horse. When Christ comes again, when he arrives on the earth for a second time, it won't be gentle and lowly. It'll be on a white charger to condemn the sinner, to condemn the self-righteous. He will judge those who do not worship him. Because remember, he's meek, but he certainly isn't weak. And his second coming will take your breath away one way or another. So I'm sorry if this offends you, but I would be more sorry if I didn't tell you. Um, And dear child of God, you'll be sorry if you don't tell everyone you love about Jesus Christ, the gentle king, and warn them of his second coming because it won't be so gentle. I just pray that we would have eyes to see our humble king who offers peace. Because when that offer is rejected, he will ultimately bring peace to this world whether we like it or not. Um, I, uh, <laughs> gentle. Gentle is what it's all about. Guys, he's so gentle with those that love him, those that believe in him. But he was absolutely lethal with those who spurn him, those who reject their God-given purpose to worship, those who don't lay down their life and lay down their garments before the king and welcome him and hail him and say, God, Hosanna, please come save me. Those that claim him and don't do right by his people, he comes as righteous Jesus, angry and wild. So I don't know about you, but I would rather experience a gentle Jesus, meek and mild, on the day of judgment. So, I'm begging you, please humble yourselves or you will be humbled. Humble yourself to the humble king or he will be humbled. I want to end today with a little poem. For though his coming to us is gentle, his claim to our hearts is not. We're happy to let him turn others' tables, but what happens when he confronts us? Will we give him control? Will we let him lead? Will we give him the praise he deserves? Or will we wish that we had humbled ourselves? Will we wish we believed when we heard? The gentle king comes to us gently if we'd only believe in him. If we take our rightful place as his servants, he takes his place as our king. But if we don't, if we won't, if we reject his gentle way, we'll wish we were the tree of figs that withered and faded away. If we don't give our lives to him, regret eternal awaits our soul. So people make way for the gentle king, for his second coming won't be so. Let me pray for us. Jesus, (laughs) you are gentle with us. You are good to us, and we've been anything but. We deserve a righteous Jesus, angry and wild. But God, you come to us gentle, meek, and mild. And so Christ, we receive you today. For those of us who believe, who believed for a while, um, I encourage you um, to take up the gentle king, to be gentle with those around you that need um, his gentleness. I encourage you to make way for him in your life. When he asks you to do something, just do it. 
Don't quench the spirit. If he's asking you to lay it down, lay it down. If he's asking you to step away or step out in faith, do it. (laughs) You got to understand, wherever he's leading you, that's the path of his blessing. So please, friends, follow the gentle king when he leads. And for those of you who maybe don't know, who don't know if you know whether you're saved or not, you don't know if you know the gentle king, you don't know your own heart posture. As you think about it, you say, I don't know. Maybe I come to church with an agenda. Maybe I come to church and I don't know this gentle king. I encourage you right now to believe in him and repent of your sins. Repent of your rejection and embrace him wholly. For those of you, like I said, who don't know, if you know, you don't know where you're at, whether you're getting a gentle Jesus on the day of judgment or whether you're getting a righteous Jesus, I want to pray with you right now. So if this is you and you don't know, just pray with me. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how I've rejected you. I'm sorry for how I've messed up in the past. You made this world and I've messed up my world. So God, I pray that you would come into my life. I accept you. I receive you, Christ. I want to commit my life to you. I believe in you and I want to live for you. God, you laid down your life for me. So I want to lay down my life to you. You are the way and the truth and the life, Jesus Christ. Help me make way for you. And all God's people said, amen. Would you guys... Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bent Tree Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.